Welcome to the Banking with Life Q&A series. This is where I answer your questions concerning the infinite banking concept. Let's get started. In this question, or this is a statement, um, which I appreciate greatly, Greg. The peace of mind, the emotional peace that life insurance provides beyond the cash value, leverage, the investments, etc., is wonderful. The death benefit has so much value. I, I appreciate you saying that greatly, Greg. I completely agree. The death benefit is greatly diminished in the footprint of the infinite banking world, right? Um, <clears throat> and I understand that we're building policies to accumulate cash value. You cannot discount the death benefit. It's a, life insurance doesn't come any other way. You cannot buy life insurance without a death benefit. Now, let's think this through. Life insurance policies today are built upon a hypothetical 120-year life expectancy. The cash value must equal the face amount at age 120 or 121. At the end of 120 years of life, 121. The cash value must equal the face amount. Okay. So do you want a small death benefit or a large death benefit. Knowing full well, the further out into the future you go, the cash value is rising every day to equal the increasing death benefit at age 121. Okay. Now, if I'm building cash, no question I'm structuring, we structure policies for cash value. No question. And that is what you can collateralize. You're borrowing against the cash value. The death benefit is collateralizing the outstanding loan, which will compound if you don't pay the interest, right? And so you should be honest banker and repay your loans and repay your loans with the market rate of interest. And that's a whole nother conversation. But if the life insurance company is going to charge you five, six or eight percent and the third party lender. And I understand you can get a 30 year mortgage today for three percent. I get it. But tell me your credit cards at three percent. How many of those do you have? Zero. None. Unless you have, you know, a limited uh, come on gimmick offering, you know, the first 12 months, 0% financing, perfect, right? Um, and you know as well as I do, there's no such thing as 0% interest. The cost of financing is built into the purchase. Okay, I'm just saying the death benefit collateralizes the outstanding loan. Now, what happens if you uh, practice this idea of leveraging every dollar in cash value or loan value that you have? and you're paying the minimal premium as possible, pretty soon you're only going to be paying interest only because you can. And then pretty soon that thinking will take you right down the road of stealing peas. I'm not going to make a loan repayment. We're going to let that loan just compound, and they'll do beautifully. They'll compound a long time without a loan repayment. But sometime in the future, the odds of that policy collapsing, is, they're very high. 
Okay, there's lots of illustrations out in the infinite banking world that doesn't show a loan repayment. It looks beautiful on an illustration. And some of them, if you just continue to do the work and the research on the illustrations, if they lived, these individuals lived as long as Nelson, the policy is going to collapse because the loan grew out of control. Right. And you didn't sell the business or this big investment idea didn't pan out the way you expected. Right. Then what happens if the loan out compounds the cash value that that loan out compounds a death benefit? That policy is going to lapse in the year that it lapses. That's a taxable event to the owner. All right, so let's go out 30 years and have a million dollar tax bill in a given year. Yeah, that might have been a little too much on the answer, but I'm just sharing Thank you for your comment, Greg. You want an adequate death benefit for you and your family, and you want an adequate premium for you and your family, which will produce adequate cash values for you and your family. And don't buy into this idea that everything is a one-size-fits-all. It is not. Your finances are not your neighbor's finances or not my finances, and my finances are not your finances, right? So we're all different, and, and thank God, Right, Every life insurance policy should be different unless you're twins and not even paternal twins. And this, this is more of a statement. Peter says, gentlemen, I disagree partially with your view on blended policies. In the view of someone starting out in poverty, early high cash values are important to start using this IBC ASAP. It's an opportunity to accelerate their first policy. Also, level convertible term can start being converted, fixed term premium, parentheses, whenever extra money is found. This will get them going strong and fully banking sooner by converting term whenever possible. Their policy efficiencies can potentially be upgraded as well. This reduces MEC, Modified Endowment Contract Risk, in parentheses. A good company will help you avoid this anyway. And transition into banking the way Nelson intended faster. I enjoy your podcast videos very much. Thank you for helping spread the word. Well, Peter, thanks for your commentary. Um, I appreciate it. And perfect. you're perfectly free to disagree um, as I am, because I disagree with uh, most all of your statements. Um, blended PUAs are blended PUAs. A blended PUA is a PUA rider, paid up additions rider, blended with term, one year renewable term. Um, and is a one year renewable term in a blended PUA convertible? I think not. And so a couple of things. Um, when somebody is starting out in poverty, listen, poor people have poor ways. So if you don't have any discipline, the infinite banking concept is not for you. Uh, it is okay to be stable before entering into this idea and practice of paying life insurance premiums. Now think about that. If you don't have any money, the infinite banking concept is not for you. You want to go borrow money, be beholden to the third-party lender. You're violating Nelson's four fundamental rules, right? Number four is 
don't be dependent upon third-party lenders, right? Don't do business with banks is what he said, other than savings and checking. And poverty is just damn near a state of mind too, okay? So I'm just saying that you got to have capital, right? And so once you have capital, are high early cash values important? Of course they are, no question. But if uh, poor people don't do something for the next generation, the next generation is going to be poor too, right? Okay, so and I just kind of talked about death benefit is very important. So high cash values are good. Capital accumulation is good. And when you say start this IBC ASAP, what does that mean? As soon as you pay a premium, you've started. It's becoming your own banker, right? Um, and poor people, we all need cash reserves, right? Emergency fund. We all need access to capital. So, um, and I'm in a hurry as, as much as the next guy, right? There's plenty of time, but none to waste. I get it. And if you don't have time to do it right, you sure as hell don't have time to do it over, right? So I don't, I don't understand this idea of, you know, what are we going to sacrifice? You, you do not want to sacrifice the integrity of a policy just because you're on a short timeline, all right. I mean, you know, somebody that's 35 years old and still in poverty, what have you been doing the last 35 years? All right. It's okay to take a couple of years to correct a 35 year bad habit. All right. Okay. Um, also, you know, the, uh, what is it? The, uh, my wife and I, my wife, Jan and I were just talking about this last week and we talked about it previously m many times. It's the, uh, the, uh, days are long, but the years are short. I mean, I get the idea that we need to get going. I get it. But you don't want to jeopardize the integrity of a policy to, to compensate for 20 years of bad mistakes. Okay? And when you don't structure a policy correctly, it is not going to serve you well over your lifetime. And these are life insurance policies. So I have a life insurance policy. It's going to mirror my life. Go figure. Let's, I mean, let's just think that through, right? I bought a life insurance policy on myself, okay? It's going to be complete, fulfilled, pay a death benefit when I graduate. My whole life, I'm going to have that asset. What year do I want to sacrifice in the future to, to get started in a hastily manner or to have an improperly structured policy? What year do I want to sacrifice in the future what year what policy year in the future do i want to sacrifice to go cash on cash you know in year two or three or four i'm listening right none i don't want to sacrifice any year none okay also level convertible term can start being converted fixed term premium yeah of course whenever extra money is found well listen with this idea of finding extra money i mean if do you have any extra money? Send it to me. I don't know anybody that has extra money, right? But um, yes, convertible term, you know, can be converted. Perfect. Not from a blended PUA, right? And, and it shouldn't be willy-nilly, right? Your expansion, that would be an expansion. If I start a policy today and I convert term later, that, isn't that an expansion of my system? Yes. So if my first policy is built correctly, I'm not forced to expand my system prematurely. It'll be, it'll be a natural expansion. It'll be apparent to me, and some are slower than others. I'm the, probably the slowest guy on the planet, right? But it becomes apparent that when I should expand. All right? Okay. And, and I prefer, personally, standalone term riders for part of that reason. So you can convert the term in the future if you choose to. But if you don't choose to, you're not being forced 
into purchasing another policy. And whenever you have that high cash value, I know I'm doing sign language now for you listeners, track down the video, or maybe we'll have this in content released by the time this is aired. The XY scale, the higher the premium I pay in the early years, the shorter the duration that I can pay a premium. Okay? Whenever you build these blended PUA policies, you cannot pay a premium for a long time period. You can't. Right? And then the more fragile it becomes in the future. So, okay. All right. This will, you know, you convert the term when extra money is found. This will get them going strong and fully banking sooner. No, a correct foundation is the most important starting point, period. If you have a weak foundation, whatever you build on top of that structure is not going to do well. All right. So a correct foundation is the most important. That's the best thing a poor person can do. By converting term whenever possible, they're policy efficiencies can be potentially upgraded as well man listen a proper expansion of a banking system is 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 correct the policies all become more efficient with time if you try to artificially shorten that time for artificial efficiency in the early years you're jeopardizing years of that policy in the future and you don't want to mech today, you don't want to mech in the future. You want to pay a high premium today, it's not going to change. If you have the ability, you want to pay a high premium in the future. Now, if something unforeseen happens and the future is absolutely unknown that causes you not to be able to pay a high premium, then your policy should be structured where it still performs very well for you and your family. And that's where a knowledgeable practitioner comes in. You know, these, these you know, individuals that practice this concept associated with the Nelson Nash Institute um, know what they're doing. These uh, marketers that are not affiliated with the NNI um, should be stepped over. You should walk right past them. You should listen to them. As Jim Rohn, everybody can be an example or a warning, an example of what to do and a warning of what not to do. So if your practitioner, your professional is not associated with the NNI, you should bypass them. My opinion. Um, and then they should, if they're not affiliated with the Nelson Nash Institute, they should go through that process to become affiliated. Right? They have a process. And not everybody gets through, thank God. All right? And can be a practitioner. Again, Peter, thanks for your commentary. It helps uh, me share. Okay. Um, you know, the policies become more efficient, you know, as upgraded as well by converting the term. He continues, this reduces the MEC, modified endowment contract risk. A good company will help you avoid this anyway. A good company is not going to do anything but send you what's called a MEC letter. You know, they're not going to call you and say, hey, Peter, you're getting close to getting to a MEC. Don't pay over this amount. You should know what the MEC limit is on your policy and you shouldn't go above that amount. In premium. If you do, the company is automatically going to send the owner a modified endowment contract letter. And it's going to say something like, hey, we received your premium. Thanks for being part of the smartest people on the planet by sending us a life insurance company money. However, this premium has caused your policy to mech. They have to. They have to notify you that of that, right? So then it's your choice. Uh, you're going to accept the mech. If you don't respond, it's going to be a mech. And a mech is a mech is a mech. It'll never be able, you'll never be able to unmech a policy. 
right? And I think the IRS gives you one year. Most companies give you six months. But you, you shouldn't waste any time. If you get a MEC letter, you should call then, right then. And your choices are going to be, uh, just keep the premium. I love a MEC, which you shouldn't do that. If you can avoid it, you shouldn't do that. You don't want a MEC policy if you can avoid it. Okay. Then you can tell them, send me the premium back that caused my policy to MEC. They'll send you a check. You can tell them, well, pay down a loan. Apply that additional premium that caused my policy to become a MEC and reduce the loan. Right? It's your choice. It's, so I'm just saying that a good company, man, uh, what does that mean? It's going to help you avoid a MEC. No. Don't be dependent upon the company. You, the policy owner, should know what your MEC limits are. And you should pay a premium every year right up to that MEC limit. Okay? My opinion. Okay. Um, and then he continues, and a good company, and if you convert the term and, and avoid the MEC, and this will transition into banking the way Nelson intended faster. No, I think I've really pretty much all addressed that earlier. And then he says, I enjoy your podcast videos very much. Thank you for helping spread the word. Okay, thank you, Peter. I appreciate, again, you posing or sharing your comments and giving me the opportunity to share mine. Okay, and I appreciate you listening. This statement and question is from Jose. Wow, I just got pitched on the Prime America. I am starting out. And I am on my temp license. So he has a temporary life insurance license, I would assume. Nelson Nash was a very nice guy. I have listened to some audio CDs from Nelson, and they are very eye-opening. How can I become a practitioner? Jose, go to infinitebanking.org. Reach out to them. There's a whole process to become a practitioner. So I believe David will respond to you promptly. And they have coursework and they have an interview, a coursework and a mentoring program. So just email them. And this question, he's a chess coach. All right. Strategic thinking individual. All right. James, could I please ask why infinite banking construct must avoid universal life or IUL, please? Universal Life Insurance or IUL. IUL is Indexed Universal Life. And then thank you so much for the good content. I appreciate that comment, Coach. And the idea of uh, the universal life violates the very essence, nature, spirit, and idea of insurance because the owner is retaining risk that that death benefit will be enforced. If you think about that, when you buy automobile insurance, fire insurance, house insurance, you're offsetting the risk. You're paying someone, an insurer, to assume that risk of loss, right? That's why we have it. Well, in life insurance, I am paying a premium to offset the risk of premature death, right? So if I live my life expectancy, I'm going to accumulate some value and some wealth. Um, if I die prematurely, I'm not going to have the opportunity to accumulate this. Well, I'm offsetting the risk of premature death, right? Okay. Um, with indexed universal life, universal life, variable universal life, there are two components. There's a side account or a fund, an account that earns interest in some way, right? An account value. And then there is 
death benefit. It's it's akin to term insurance with a side fund. The cost of insurance goes up every year you're on the planet. Every year. And there's it's called cost of insurance. You get it in the statement on all universal life policies. So the cost of insurance is going to go up every year. There's an exponential curve to the cost of insurance. And it generally it generally occurs in your it starts occurring in your mid to late fifties and it continues through your sixties and in your seventies the cost of insurance goes vertical. All right. And then one or two things is going to happen. Uh, or both. The cost of the insurance is going to require additional premium. And if you don't pay the premium, that additional cost is going to be covered or paid for from the side account, from the the uh, indices, not the yeah, the indices, the account, the indices are just what d- determines how much interest is earned on an IUL, on an index universal life policy. That account value is going to subsidize the cost, the increasing cost of insurance. So, as, the longer you live, the cost of insurance is going to go up. It's going to turn vertical in your late sixties and all through your seventies. The cost of insurance is going to go straight up, and you're either going to pay a higher premium to compensate, or and or the account values are going to be used cannibalized. The policy is going to cannibalize itself because the account value is going to be supporting the increasing cost of insurance. Right. So in a nutshell, the uh, problem is really in design. Right. You can't correct that. You cannot correct the design of a universal life policy. Now, look, they illustrate beautifully. Um, and so when you shop for life insurance and, and you're trained as a consumer to look at the tabular detail, right, where all the cash values are, where the account values are, the universal life illustrations illustrate the very best. And then next is the like, 90-10 design, very small base premium on a whole life policy and a very high PUA. Those premium, right, those illustrate very well as well. Neither one are going to perform, and you're going to be uh, dissatisfied in the future. So, in a nutshell, that's why. All right, the cost of insurance continues. It's going to more than likely, more likely than not, going to cannibalize that policy. So it's not going to serve you well. So in retirement, all this tax-free retirement marketing that you have seen and been, you know, flooded with over the last ten years. The likelihood of that occurring is slim to none. You're not going to have a tax-free income in retirement and a death benefit with the way they illustrate with the universal life. So just go ahead and save this video sometime. Look it back up in 20 years and, and tell me I'm wrong then, okay? Thank you. All right, and this question, or it's more of a statement. Sam says... The dividend is more than the return of premium because if that was the case, they would stop after they refunded all of your money back. But they are more than that, which includes carrier investments, operating expenses, and previous death claims. Why doesn't the government tax anything over the return of premiums? Question. So it's a statement and a question. And Sam, thanks for making the statement and asking the question. The dividend 
is classified in the Internal Revenue Code as a refund of overpayment of premium. That's how it's classified in the tax code. And I've said, and I'll continue to say, that I don't care how you classify the dividend, just pay me a dividend, okay? And actually, the dividend is the owner's share of the financial experience of the company. So when you say it is... Um, more than that, it includes carry investment, operating expense, and previous death claims. That's true in the sense that all of those components make up the financial experience of a life insurance company. If it's a mutual life insurance company, the dividend is paid to the policy owner, the owner of the company, um, because the policy owner of a mutual life insurance company is the owner of the company, right? And the owners receive the dividends. Okay. The Internal Revenue Code... The Internal Revenue says, classifies the dividend as a return of premium. And actually, it is your share, the policy owner's share, the owner of the company's share, the financial experience of the life insurance company. And then, why doesn't the government tax anything over the return of premium? Or why doesn't the government tax anything over the return of premium? Yeah. Well, actually, they do. So if I paid in $100,000 into a policy, very simply, um, that would be my basis. If I withdraw from that policy over $100,000, I'm taxed on that amount above my basis. In this case, paid in $100,000 in premium, I withdraw anything above $100,000, then I'm taxed on that withdrawal above $100,000. And I'm taxed at ordinary income tax rates. So I hope that helps. Bill, his question is, are annuities better than whole life for IBC? The short answer is no. Um, annuities are not better than whole life for IBC. There's nothing as good and absolutely nothing better than dividend paying whole life insurance to practice the infinite banking concept with. Can annuities be integrated into a comprehensive financial plan that includes the infinite banking concept or high cash value dividend paying life insurance policies issued by mutual companies? Yes. How can someone increase their coverage if they have no others with an insurable interest? Well, if you're fully insured and you have no insurable interest in others, the only thing that you could do and that I'm aware of is um, buy existing life insurance policies that are, people are willing to sell. And um, that would be the tertiary market. I don't necessarily encourage that anyone sell their life insurance policies. There are lots of ramifications to that, and there may be better solutions than selling your life insurance policy on the third or the open market. Keith has a comment or a question on episode 87, additional interest, and IBC frequently asked question. Keith says, the one question that is never really answered is, what about MEC limits? Question mark. If you are already fully funding to the point you are allowed to by the government and life insurance company, wouldn't paying an extra quote unquote pretend higher rate, high interest rate with the extra going to the PUA cause your policy to MEC? 
Well, if you're already fully paying to the point you're allowed to by the government or the life insurance company, if you're already doing that, you can't pay additional quote unquote fake or uh, pretend interest to the PUA. So let's listen, Keith. The quote unquote pretend interest is your words. Nelson's words were um, this quote unquote interest is capital to your system, premium to the life insurance company, and it's considered the market rate of interest. So if the life insurance company is charging you five and the third party lender is charging you 20, right? 25% and look at your credit card. You tell me how much you're paying on your credit card. I know you can get a 30 year mortgage for 2.9. I understand that. I know you can get a car loan for 1.9 or zero. I get all that. What are you paying on your credit cards? That's the market rate of interest, what you're paying a third party lender. So it's nothing pretend about it. Those are your words, not mine, not Nelson's. Okay. If you're already paying up to the limit by the IRS and that particular policy, the MEC limit, or you're already paying up to the limit of the PUA ability by the insurance company, then you either have to start another policy or open a segregated checking account if you're going to be honest banker and that additional interest, quote unquote, goes either to another policy or to a segregated uh, an account somewhere earmarked for premium in the future. So thanks for your comment, Keith. In this question, Dominique asks, do you have seminar information for those over 70 years old for infinite banking? The short answer is no, I haven't created a particular special seminar for people over age 70, but um, we can talk about that all day long. Maybe I'll create some content that specifically talks about older ages, but you can go to Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, and go to um, an even distribution of age classes, page 70 or 71. Oh yeah, and don't skip over, nobody ever talks about this, but I can get a higher rate of return, that's on page 69. Even distribution of age classes, page 71. So start there. You can. I could absolutely make a seminar on that. Um, Dominique, thanks for asking. Even distribution of age classes, Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, page 71. That will help you. Okay, and this comment, I believe, is on episode 87 as well. Additional interest. Zach says, on a loan I took out recently, the interest was added to the loan amount for the year as the loan was taken out. Now, as I pay the loan down, I get money back to cash value based on my payment. So I guess based on the time and the amount of payment, they calculate the interest that was pre-allocated. At the end of the day, I, I didn't listen to um, that episode 87 where young Mr. Griggs and I were talking about additional interest. Um, and the, there's, you know, the accounting of life insurance, one or two things is gonna happen. The interest is counted up front, right? So the interest is charged up front. If I request a loan from the life insurance company, I'm collateralizing the cash value. They're going to charge me interest up front. So as you make a loan repayment, then they credit you back some of the interest, right? That's what Zach is explaining. So simply, if I borrow $10,000 from the life insurance company 
and their loan interest rate is 5%, they're going to charge me $500, right? Because it's an annual interest rate. Now, as I make loan repayments back throughout that year, I didn't have the full $10,000 outstanding for that 12-month time period, right? So as I pay a loan repayment back, they're going to credit me back interest that is due me because the balance was not outstanding for the whole 12-month time period. Either that's going to happen, and that's what happened in Zach's case with his company. And I can just dang near tell you the companies that he probably owns. But the other is if I borrow $10,000 and I make a loan repayment, then that balance is recalculated. right? So I may be charged um, 5% in this example, 5% loan interest rate. But do I actually pay 5%? It depends on my actions in that first year. Right. You know, am I going to keep that loan balance outstanding for the whole 12 month time period? If so, I'm going to be charged a full 5% interest in this example. If I'm making loan repayments throughout that first year, I'm not going to actually pay 5%. Why? Because the whole loan balance was not outstanding for the whole 12 month time period. The loan interest rate is an annualized interest rate. Okay, so thanks for your statement, Zach, and giving me the opportunity to hopefully bring clarity. Um, Abbott, I love you guys and have learned so much from this podcast. It's hard sometimes, though, when James, James's go-to method of explaining a concept is in the form of a rhetorical question. Like, brother, help me understand I already know. I don't get it. You don't have to beat me up. Well, listen, Abbott, I got nothing but love for you. I am not trying to beat you up. I'm trying to encourage the uh, idea that you can become your own banker. Um, It's in love. There's over 100 hours, no cost to you, on this channel of videos. So I'm not doing it because I don't like you. I'm doing it because I want you to be exposed to this idea that you can become your own banker. And I want to help you um, educate yourself. So um, I don't I don't want to beat you up. However, let me say this, that, you know, my mentor, Nelson Nash, in the early years when I was exposed to him like 16, 17 years ago, and he was doing his 10-hour seminars, he would never directly answer a question. And it used to make a lot of people angry. And sometimes people took it personally. He would always answer this question with a question, right? Why? I'd ask him, Nelson, why? Because he's making you think, right? And that's all he was doing is encouraging people to think, right? And then he said it was biblical, too, you know? And I'm like, well... And, and actually, um, the first time I really it resonated with me what he was doing, and I asked him about it, I'm like, Nelson, why aren't you, you know, answering the questions directly? It was in uh, equipment financing. He would say, if you ask me where that logger got the down payment for the Peterbilt truck, I'm going to ask you a question. And it's biblical. All right? So, I guess, you know, I don't know specifically what, you know, you're uh, pointing to when, you know, uh, my go-to method of explaining is asking rhetorical questions. But, you know, if the shoe fits where, okay, I'm asking questions. I hope it causes you to think. I'm not trying to beat you up, okay, or anyone else. So, but thanks, Abbott, for your statement. And um, you have an opportunity to just keep learning, okay, keep listening. 
but it's in love. All right. If you have a question that you would like an answer to, email us at james at bankingwithlife.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.